our very long awaited book club review of uh, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, the final adult novel in the uh, the first phase of the High Republic. I'd actually forgotten that the trauma this book had caused me when I was reading it. Now that we're reliving it, it's all come flooding back. I feel like this is going to end up being like a, a therapy session or something talking about this book. And welcome to episode 46 of Life Invaders Castle. As always, you're joined by your two hosts, myself being John Lee and my co-host Dan McQuarrie. How are you, Dan? Hello there. Oh, I'm good. It's good to be back after another <laughs> after another long time. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back. Just saying, I feel like it's been a while. I'm, my my Star Wars discussions have been have been uh, they've almost spewed out of work because I haven't had this. Uh, it's an opportunity to talk about it, and God knows no one at work cares, so thankfully, <laughs> thankfully we get to talk about it now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it has been a while. Uh, our intentions of catching ourselves back up again uh, didn't, didn't necessarily go to plan. Um, I think I had another another major life move, so I'm, I'm now back <laughs> back up north, my the original home of Life from Vader's Castle recording. Um, and then in the process of moving again, so it's it's been a lot of uh, a lot of moving about happening, which is as is the way with the, the 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 work that I'm doing at the moment. But it just it just takes away precious podcast recording time. So I'm uh, I'm glad we can uh, we can sneak this one in today. Yeah, indeed. I wish I had any sort of excuse. I've literally just been pottering about um, doing nothing, nothing particularly exciting in my life. Unlike unlike Dan's here. Um, been just watching a lot of Netflix, which is it's always fun. On that nine to five grind, John, that's what you're doing. Yeah, on that nine to five grind, and then I usually actually just come home and kind of get to bed, which is very <laughs> tragic for a 23 year old. But we know uh, it's what it is. Getting to bed <laughs> give you plenty of time to consume some Star Wars. It did, yeah, and uh, it did give me plenty of time to uh, consume my Star Wars. And <clears throat> I don't know if you you remember, listeners, but uh, when we were talking about. Our old book club, Dan said that I'd uh, I'd spend like two days just absolutely digesting and uh, speed reading uh, the book, which is exactly what happened. I got into bed after work and just <laughs> yeah, and uh, went through. I think I was about two hundred and fifty pages in like a sitting one evening. Jeez, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Just, uh, it was. Uh, I was like, should I sit here and watch another episode of Love Is Blind, or should I actually read some Star Wars? <laughs> That's how you've been spending your time watching Love is Blind on Netflix. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, no, I'm hooked, guys. So when you're not watching Star Wars, give that a go. <laughs> That'll be our next podcast, live from Love is Blind. Yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, John is, of course, talking about our very long-awaited book club review of uh, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, the final adult novel in the uh, the first phase of the high republic this is a book that i actually was delivered to my house before christmas of last year i had read it by new year's day <laughs> and here we are a week into march finally getting around to talking about it <laughs> and for the first time not even through a fault of john for being a slow read i think john finished it about three weeks ago <laughs> 
I did. I finished it yeah, a while ago. And I said to myself, oh, I've got enough time to sit and read, the, do the audio book as well, which I, I haven't done. But um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you can't blame my, my slow reading pace this time. I have, I did indeed uh, read it in, in full time just because it was uh, it was too good to put down, as I, as I just mentioned. Yeah, definitely. I, I had one of those read it in two days situations again which is all credit to uh, to claudia gray on that one she she knows how to to write a good page turner um and i've also since uh listened to the audiobook as sort of like a drive to and from work activity which was which is good as well so uh you know allow us a little bit cut us a bit of slack if we're not quite remembering exact quotes from the book because it has been a little while for both of us um but we're, we're here to to fully break down our thoughts on the book, digest the, uh, the the great moments, the horror, the the turmoil, the despair, the depression that, that this book put us all through. And uh, hopefully it should be a fun and entertaining episode for you to listen to. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the only fun and entertainment will be from uh, obviously hearing our, our lovely voices because the, the context of the book is, is uh, well, very well written. I would not describe it as fun and uh, entertaining for a majority of the book. Yeah, bleak and miserable. Read it, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll completely understand. And um, as I did read it so long ago, I'd, I'd actually forgotten that the trauma this book had caused me when I was reading it. Um, and now that we're, we're reliving it, it's all come flooding back. Uh, I'd just about gotten over <laughs> everything that happened in this book and now it's all, all been dredge back to the surface yeah i feel like this is gonna end up being like a, a therapy session or something talking about this book um which i think is much needed because the grieving process you know isn't always immediate it can be a long-term process so this is the the two month in <laughs> therapy session to discuss everything that went down in this book yeah 100 because it's uh <clears throat> it's it's I mean, whenever anyone talks about Star Wars, especially like uh, Dave Filoni, I mean, uh, it's just here's some of the interviews that popped into my mind with the point I'm about to make. You know, he's, he's always going about how how Star Wars is about is about hope, and you know, that's that's like the main storyline of 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 uh, whatever Star Wars medium you are digesting and absorbing. And uh, it was it was a struggle to see that in this one. Um, <clears throat> which I think is a, a very interesting direction, and it, I think it will. Once the the you know the higher public has has had its stories told and everything, I think it will it will be a, a wonderful, um, not reimagining, but a lovely way of hopefully in the end giving us the hope that is so prevalent in Star Wars we see um, all over the place. But in this particular book, Jesus wept. Um, I was struggling, <laughs> struggling to <laughs> find the hope in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh... I mean, we'll all be going into full spoilers from this point onwards. So uh, so bear that in mind if you haven't read this book. Um, I do think there were kind of a few aspects of hope, you know, scattered around the end with the 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 lives that they were, the Jedi were able to save. And um, a few moments of the, the moment at the end I think of is when all the Jedi were standing on the cliff after Starlight Beacon has crashed to its fiery demise and then lifting it's like a desalination plant or something out of the water for the good people of of Erium, I think the name of the planet was. Um, so there were a few sort of moments of hope here and there, you know, Avar and Elzar talking about, you know, Stellan always be living, being with them in the force. But really, in the grand scheme of things, this was a pretty bleak um 
bleak book in it. I mean, Claudia Gray said that she set out to to write a disaster movie as a book, and uh, I think she definitely succeeded in in that aspect. It was, you know, quite horrific at times. It was uh, quite sort of um, or disastrous, I guess is a good word at times. I mean, there were obviously some good moments of comedy scattered around there. Some good moments of. Uh, uplifting nature i think particularly bell's story had some real moments of you know being uplifting but in the grand scheme of things we suffered a lot through this book and uh it was i think it was it was i didn't think it could get any worse after the rising storm (laughs) and somehow claudia gray made it even worse after the rising storm and the fact that this book ended on marchion row declaring the galaxy his um, was a pretty, uh, you know, a bleak ending to the first phase of the High Republic, which after finding out that phase two of the High Republic is going to be set 150 years in the past, makes, you know, raises a few questions as to how long we're going to have to wait to find out what happens next after the crashing down of Starlight Beacon. So it was, um, and I'm saying all of this as I abs- I did absolutely love the book. I thought it was a phenomenal book. Not, I think, overall ratings. I think it's slightly below The Rising Storm for me. But I mean, that's high praise because The Rising Storm is like my favourite Star Wars book ever. So I really did love this book, but it definitely was a was a tough one to to digest. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I think it was written perfectly as like a disaster disaster book, as as you say. You know, like you had obviously the main plot <clears throat> revolving around the Jedi's, and then you um, you had the like. Not like subplot, but like the bit in between with like the Nile infiltrating the um, Starlight Beacon and going around doing that, you know, like that <clears throat> fit up really well with with the scenes. And you can like picture it as like a movie of like you know that, that's what's happening in the background. Like there, there'll be like the scenes that are like you know five minutes, five seconds long or something um, in between, like a big grandiose um, bit with like the Jedi or something. So I think that, that fit in really well. And the pacing between those, those two aspects was really good to help like build tension and make you, make you sit there and just be like, Oh, come on. Like you're so close to figuring out or you're so close to this or you're so close to that for the Jedi. And then the little Nile yeah. just in the background, like getting away with stuff. Yeah. Um, the tension was perfect in it. Like, as you said, really well paced tension throughout. Yeah. And I think the, um, the real clever bit was, um, uh, you know, like with the, I think Chloe Day Gray did a really good job of like, writing in the Jedi's um I don't know how to phrase it. Like their issues with the force in the book, which really helped to build attention because it's like such a big disaster is obviously something that you'd feel like the Jedi would have would have sensed through the force and like worked out and stuff like that. And like, you know, like <clears throat> there's a reason why they're the Jedi, you know, they have like these innate abilities that put them far above the average person. And like having them having those abilities not be at the Jedi's disposal, I think really helped build the tension and you know make it a lot more feel like a lot more tense in, in like all the scenes mm. yeah. where it needed to be. And I, yeah, fantastically great idea from Claudia Gray. And it was a uh, yeah, fantastic to build the tension throughout the book. Yeah. It was essentially what makes the Jedi strong. Oh yeah. Let's just take that away from them and see how they deal with it. And I think it was really interesting as well that she included a lot of like human characters in the books. So obviously like you've got the vessel crew returning from into the dark, which by the way, I was so excited about because I absolutely love the vessel crew. You've got like so Joss and Picker, Adrian, like that sort of ordinary human couple who are there. Then you had that Coley Lynn guy, that scoundrel, that horrible 
bloke who was there, you know, causing mischief. They had Nan and Chancey Yarrow, the two Nile, ex-Nile, um, sort of will they, won't they join the Nile team of saboteurs sort of pairing. So he had all these like very human characters dealing with what was going on in the Starlight Beacon. But then the Jedi themselves, because of the um, abilities that the... Well, uh, we we now know from a comic book that they're they're, they're called the Nameless, the, uh, the the beasts that were stalking Starlight Starlight Beacon. The Nameless is what they're called. Um, if you haven't read Trail of Shadows and you didn't know that, that's the official name they've called the Nameless or the Levelers or the Shri Karai. I think was the other name that they've given. Anyway, um, but the fact that they took away the Jedi's sort of abilities to use the Force and to sort of get warnings about stuff going wrong through the Force, it really sort of quite like strip back the Jedi of like, what are these human beings or, you know, aliens, but you know, what are these beings like without the force? What are they like? What are these superheroes like without their superpowers sort of thing? And I think that was a really interesting story to tell and something I feel like we haven't seen before in Star Wars. And I think particularly with Stellan's character, which I think we'll go into in quite a lot of detail, really like, you know, raises the question of like, without the force, who are the Jedi? And I think that was something that, Claudia Gray did really, really well in this book. And I think, you know, a lot of the times it was almost like the Jedi and the human and the non-Jedi characters in this book almost felt equal because the Jedi didn't have that thing that stood them above non-Jedi people, if you get what I mean. So, yeah, it was a really unique story idea for for um, Claudia Gray to tell. And I think it really made the book land. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, <clears throat> what's, what's great about, um, you know, some of the, the best comic book films or like superhero films and books and novels and whatever it's always about like making your making your character seem more relatable to you and like you know giving them a human factor and stuff you know like everyone loves spider-man 2 because you know he goes for that phase when like he doesn't want to be spider-man anymore and loses powers or something like <clears throat> i'm sure i can name like a lot more if you gave me a bit of a bit of prep time uh but uh yeah, and I think this book did a fantastic job of helping humanise these characters, um, you know, without their force powers and making them feel like they're getting through these struggles and sorting out these problems and stuff the same way, like, the reader would. Like, as, like, a the reader, I don't have the force, and it's still, um, still something that, you know, they managed to get through and fix themselves. And I think I think that's a, that's a big part of, uh, and I look back to my previous comment, about like Star Wars being about hope and stuff because while they failed spectacularly overall in the main concept of the book, um, the Jedi, you know, they had little victories here and there. And I think that those are little victories that really helped them um, mm. help inspire the hope throughout the book. So, yeah, you know, there's a good balance of all, all the uh, all the things a good Star Wars story should, should, should have. And, and yeah, it's very well written. And there was that turning point really in the book where they essentially realised Starlight Beacon was doomed. There was nothing they could do to save the station. All they could do was try and save as many lives as possible. And I think that was, as you said there, like there was those little victories. The, the hope that still existed in the book was like, the station's doomed. The Nile have essentially won. But at the end of the day, we can still save as many of these sort of non-Jedi lives as possible. There's obviously also that big sort of um, connection theme playing in with like at the end of the book, even though it didn't really do anything to help, like the whole galaxy, just all the ships of the galaxy arrived to try and help, even though there wasn't really anything they could do. But like the that sort of we are the Republic motto really playing in as a factor here of like 
even though Marquion Rose trying to take away that unity of the galaxy, that like unity still exists. And obviously you've got is it Queen Thandaker, the name of the Queen of Irium, who, you know, there was a moment where it was basically like shoot that thing out of the sky so it doesn't blow up us, you know, all our civilians. And her basically saying, No, I trust the Jedi, you know, we are all the Republic. And I think even though it was pretty miserable, and even just talking about it right now, I'm starting to like realize myself I'm like oh there was a little bit of hope in this book actually of like you know the Nile can they can destroy as much as they want but that like that unity sort of still exists even though they are making the Jedi very scared (laughs) the galaxy very scared the Chancellor very scared um it is there's still that sort of like spark of you know unity which still exists at this era of Star Wars which I think is one of the one of the factors that I really really enjoy but I do find it interesting that they've called this whole thing the high republic and <laughs> we haven't really seen much high have we it's just been like great disaster billions die the uh the republic fair many people die including great jedi the fallen star everyone dies <laughs> so uh thank you to the luminous writers for giving us so much <laughs> high of the republic <laughs> god uh, i mean it's just i feel like reading this book there's like when you obviously again I'm analogize with a film or something, when you see like a superhero film, really superhero book, comic, whatever, <clears throat> there's always points in that storyline where a character's like on death's door, shall we say, or something's gonna, you know, it's like, you know, it looks like they're at their that their end and the time has come and that is it, that's their death. And there's always something that will just show up and save the day, you know, like <clears throat> it's very, you know, cliche and obviously you can see it coming a mile away, and obviously a good story will still have you feeling that tension, even though you know it's that the saviour's coming. Um, I don't think at any point in this book a saviour arrived for any of the characters. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> they all just died. <laughs> yeah. There's many times I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, like, uh, I can't remember specifically which character it was. It might have been um, Orla. And I was like, oh, something will happen here. Or like right at the end of the book. I was like, oh, someone's going to come save the, him here. Um, so about Stefan. And it's just like, no. And they all just died. And it's just like, yeah. you're sitting there honestly reading the book being like, yeah. what the hell? The amount of times I have to put a book down and just be like, for God's sake. Just be Take like, a couple of deep again. breaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be like, well, like, and then it was always like, they always played it as well. Like, Claudia always wrote it. I'm, I mean, I'm again. I've looked at it since I've read it, really, but I'm 99 percent sure that every time a character died, that was like the end of the chapter as well. Yeah, so it yeah. wasn't even every anything, time. It wasn't even any, yeah, it wasn't even anything to go off. It was like character died, next page, next chapter. I just shut the book. <laughs> and I was like, God, slammed it down. Oh, I know. It's like, oh, then after, then obviously the next chapter is like usually like a different scene or something as well. So I've got to like move straight on to something else. I can't. I don't even have time to process my emotions. yeah it was it was was definitely a roller coaster and um i think i think the the first character i want to like properly talk about is stellan because i think that um i mean stellan i think i feel like the the three sort of main characters in this book were really stellan elzar and bell but i feel like stellan more than anything sort of became sort of the central 
thematic core of this book. I mean, I think the title, The Fallen Star, literally ended up being about Stellan by the end of the book of like, he is the fallen star because he dies. And he's referred to in this book many times as the pole star of, you know, his Elzar and Avar's constellation, which is a, a, um, concept, which I absolutely loved in this book. But I really, I really loved Stellan's journey in this book. I thought he was a really, I really liked his character in The Rising Storm. Um, like I really liked his character in The Rising Storm. And I was very much thinking, right, this is a good introduction. I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes in lots of other books and stories and that sort of thing. So I was getting, I was getting ready to, to like hear many stories about Stellan. I did not expect coming into this book that Stellan would die at the end of the book. I thought Stellan Geos great character is going to be like the Obi-Wan of the High Republic era. He's going to be there through thick and thin, but no, we lose him at the end of this book. Um, in like, it was a very sad and emotional death, but at the same time, it was quite uh, like not happy, but there was almost like a satisfying nature to the death because of that line of like Stellan Geos finally knew who he was which I thought was obviously his big character journey in this book was like all Adreni sort of questioning him on like, without the Jedi order, like, who are you? Like, you've always been the person who like does what the order says. You've always been the person who like, essentially don't have a life outside of your duty. Like you are literally just like Mr. Jedi, Mr. Poster Boy Jedi. And when he loses his ability to use the force, he suddenly panics and he's like, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore because I can't, I can't do the one thing that I've essentially been bred to do. And I, I really loved his journey. His relationship with Elzar is one of the sort of set like things about the book that I love the most. Like him and Elzar are such a good pairing. And I think they're such like a, just like a well-written male friendship, which I think so many like big franchises just don't really do male friendships well. It's either just like weird bromances or like really toxic friendships where they just bully each other. And like, they have a really nice thing where there's a bit of banter between them, but there's also like a real endearing friendship between them. So I really love their friendship, but Stellan's whole thing of like in that last moment where he, he is say he literally like saves millions of people's lives by diverting Starlight Beacon away from the city by not using the force and just using literally just his bare hands of like using the thruster, the, the I don't know, whatever, a button or a lever or whatever to save people. And, you know, he could have easily got um, the robot, which is it? Oh, I can't remember what the robot's name was, like a really long J1415 or whatever. Um, the name of the droid, like he could have quite easily kind of got the droid to do it, but it was almost like in that moment, his sacrifice was about like him doing the job, making sure everyone was safe. And in that moment, without using the force, he like realized who he was, which is like, he's the guy who's like, will save people's lives. And I think that was a really, like really powerful journey for Stellan. And I, I really loved it. And I think his whole, the pole star constellation thing with Elzar and Avar was like really beautifully written. That scene with Elzar and Avar, on the um on the cliff like realizing that he's dead and that their pole star is gone but you know in the force he'll never be gone and he'll continue to guide them i think it was all just like really powerful stuff and i like really found myself like loving stellan in this in this book and i think he had the most sort of symbolic and powerful death like a lot of the other deaths felt really tragic because it was just like 
they turned to, turned into a husk. But this one really felt like he died doing his duty and he found who he was in his dying moments. And I thought that was a really, uh, really powerful death, really well written by Claudia Gray. And I think it was uh, one, of the, one of the highlights of the book for me was old Stellingios. Yes, Stellan's character was just, <clears throat> as you say, fantastic in this. And I completely agree about the point, you know, his relationship with Elzar, I think, is is fantastic in this book. You know, it comes across so well, as you as you say, you know, you can tell that they, they have a laugh and a joke with each other. You know, they're, they're best mates, but you can tell, like, they're very sincere when, like, it gets emotional and, like, they want to look out for each other and do the best, um, <clears throat> you know, do the best for each other. And it's a, it's a real true true friendship there. And that's, <clears throat> there was something that was really apparent in this book and it was just, it was just really nice nice to read. Um, sometimes, you know, a bit of, bit of uh, you know, bromance, emotional stuff with, with, two, with two mates, uh, two, you know, two best friends. <clears throat> and then obviously the stuff with, uh, Avar, Chris, Elzar, and uh, and and Stellan. You know the, the the three the three of them are such a perfect duo together, and I think um, they they form such a close friendship. And obviously, growing up as like Padawans and stuff, and it's just it's really it's just really interesting to see. I think in in Star Wars because obviously in the the uh, <clears throat> in the Jedi Order, you're not you're not meant to have such have such close friendships and, and bonds as as these characters. Uh, have done in uh, in this in this time period, and it's just it's really refreshing to see. And I think one of the more interesting aspects of this as well is like, um, especially with Stellan's death, is you can technically just blame Elzar man for it, a hundred percent. Like if he hadn't, oh yeah, of, uh, yeah if he hadn't jumped the gun <laughs> and like sliced that poor woman in half, then she would have fixed shit, the ship, and Stellan wouldn't have had to stay behind and guide it off. So, uh, you know. Obviously, we're going to have to wait quite a while to find out, but I'll be really interested to see how this affects our Elzar going on um, and whether he can, I don't know, just like, I'm sure it will take him quite a while to like forgive himself or, um, you know, like admit to the consequences of what he's done. I feel like towards the end of the book, like the last, last few pages, he kind of was just in shock of the action he committed towards that woman. And I think it's going to take him a little while to kind of... Um, work out exactly like you know the steps that led from him doing that to, to Stellan's death and I think that's going to be an interesting read when we finally get around to find that about that yeah and just to just to uh I just picked up the book just so I got it right it said JJ5145 is the name of that brilliant droid character and I love the little like Elzar got it for Stellan there's like a practical joke at the beginning and then like Stellan returned it to Elzar at the end as like the sort of final gotcha which I thought was such a funny little moment in quite a dark and sad ending yeah I thought that was a great bit of handsome between the two and they just just reminded me of like uh as like Obi Wan like gifting like Anakin like C three PO or something like that level of annoyance because God I I'd, I'd, I'd hate to be gifted a C three PO it was uh, it was just yeah, funny that he gifted it back in the end and the droid actually turned out to be quite useful so as much as Elzar sent um, Stellan the, the droid to be as annoying as possible actually quite quite often in the book the droid actually uh, turned out to be quite quite a handy companion yeah, quite helpful <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it was, I've actually just got like that final little bit back up at the end of like Stellan's last little bit, but like the, I know what I'm doing for five, Stellan said he felt stronger than he had in days, maybe stronger than he ever had in his life. He imagined Elzar's face, then Avar's, then all Adreni's, and he smiled, I know who I am. Jeez, that is like, that was like that bit in the book, right? I was just like, okay, 
Claudia Gray knows what she's doing. She can write Star Wars. That was like a really emotional like ending to a character of like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to die knowing who I am. And I'm still going to save this annoying droid. <laughs> so yeah, I just hats off to Claudia Gray on that one because that was really, really made me like, obviously I spent the whole book just being obsessed with Elzar because he is like my favorite character. But that was the moment I was like, yeah, Stellan's pretty top tier as well. Yeah, and it's like there was a few characters that I think that um, sadly we we lost in this book. Like Stella being one of them, the other one being like all the Jereni, who I just I don't know why I, I ever thought this, but I just assumed to be would have some sort of like plot armor around them, would be like safe. We'd obviously see them, you know, at the end of I'd expect them to die like more towards at like, the end of the High Republic era, like <clears throat> I don't know, in some sort of like the final book maybe. Um, of the era, I was expecting to maybe lose them. I didn't expect them both to go in this book, like, and especially after all the journey went, I was like, all right, that's it now. Like, yeah. No one else, no one has no one else. Armor. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, surely no, no other top tier characters could be could be uh, could be killed in this book. We've had one already, and that was that was a shock. So surely no one else. Yeah. Um, but alas, I ate my I ate my words towards I the end of the book. I spent the entire last fifty pages of this book just like worrying about Elzar. Like I was like this is it I was, I was gonna die isn't he like i was just panicking so much and then when i was like oh my god he's safe and then i realized oh no it means stellan's dying <laughs> it means stellan's dying and then i had a whole other thing of like oh not stellan like, i've just started to really like this guy this is ridiculous um but yeah i think i think he's gonna very much become like the almost like the obi-wan of like i mean he did sort of feel like the obi-wan but like even more so of like I don't think he's obviously going to become a force ghost because I don't think he's obviously figured out how to do that. But like that guiding light for who I think will probably be the central characters going forward of like Elzar and Ava, I think like Stellan's death and Stellan's sacrifice, I think is going to be really significant to those characters going forward. And like, obviously they have the line of like, our pole star still shines of like, you know, he is still going to be their guiding light. And I think, yeah, I think it's like going to be a really significant death in the same way that in the original trilogy, like Obi, like oh, you know, Ben Kenobi dying was like the moment for Luke, where like he had this mentor who like would inspire him to go on. I think like Stellan is going to be that for particularly for Elzar, who I think needs it at the moment because, as you said, he just chopped a woman in half who was trying to save the station. Um, but also for Avar, who has been on a bit of a reckless journey as well, if, if, if people have been keeping up with the comics. And obviously we didn't see her that much in this book because her story was sort of more tied up in the comics. But the moments that we got from her were pretty significant in, you know, the way that her and Elzar's relationship is so deeply entwined in who they are as characters and particularly Elzar. And I mean, when we get into talking about Elzar's character, we'll definitely get into it. But um, I think... It'll be it'll be interesting to see how that duo functions now they've lost the third member of their duo, like of their trio. Um, because it and also tied in like really nicely to you know Charles Soul's sort of thing at the beginning of like the Jedi, where like they all see the force differently, and how like a- uh, Avar sees the force as like a song, and like Elzar sees it as like an ocean, and in this it's like revealed that Stellan sees it as like a constellation of stars. And I think that all ties really nicely in together to sort of show how Stellan 
even though he's dead, like going forward is going to be that like that guiding light, that guiding star for for these characters who have you know really been through the ringer. <laughs> I hope so. <clears throat> I hope so. Stellan will, will be the guide for them. I think, especially for um, for Elzar, because I think I think Elzar went on a quite a big journey um, between the last book and this book. <laughs> yeah, um, <it> certainly has. <laughs> so, you know, and I. And then in this book, he's lost the two the two people who were um, who were guiding him onto a back onto a better path since his uh, use of like the dark side in um, in the Rising Storm. I think um, <clears throat> you know all of Jereni and then Stellan were the two people that were really guiding him back towards the Jedi Order and back towards finding finding the Force within himself and like finding the light back in, in himself again. So uh, I think it's going to be tough for Elzar without, without both of them um, being there to help guide him. But I think as long as he's got a bar, Chris, he might, he might just about make it. I think your she somehow goes as well. If Jesus wept. I mean, this guy's yeah. coming next Darth Vader. Yeah, I know. I was um, going to say, if Avar dies, we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Elzar is Darth uh, Plagueis secretly or something like that. Like it's going to be like revealed evil Sith Lord. Uh, Elzar man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. If Avar goes, Elzar's definitely becoming a Sith Lord. Like, he'll be like <laughs> the, the the OG Sith Lord if, uh, if, <laughs> if Avar Chris goes as well. Uh, that, that man needs as much guidance as possible. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we should we move on to talking about talking about Elzar? I think we've had a we've had a good good Stellan conversation. Should we move on to our boy Elzar man? Yeah, top uh, boy. See, I, I think as a fandom, it's uh, it's time to start uh, talking about how Elzar man is within the top five Jedi of all time in Star Wars and putting it out there right now. I think I think he's walking amongst the Luke Skywalkers, the Obi-Wans, the Qui-Gons of Star Wars history. And I, I'm, I'm willing to uh, have any conversation with anyone who sees otherwise. I think Elzar Mann is, in my opinion, the best character in the High Republic. Uh, and I think he's slowly become one of, if not my favourite Jedi after this book. I really, really love his character i think i know this is going to be a super controversial thing to say and i don't say this in any disrespect to the prequels or to george lucas or to hayden or to anyone because i love those movies i love anakin as a character i kind of just feel like elza man's just a better written anakin <laughs> i know this is a really controversial thing to say but i don't know i just i I love that the the story they're telling with him is kind of he's kind of similar to Anakin in the sense of like his attachment to Avar is what is sort of driving him close to potentially being consumed by the dark side. He's always been a bit of a iconoclast. He sets himself different aside from the Jedi Order. He does stuff differently. He tinkers with a Force. All these things that Anakin did. He's incredibly gifted, talented. But the thing that holds him back is that he has this like attachment, this love for someone that he shouldn't have because he's a Jedi. And instead of Anakin, who you know had Palpatine there to manipulate him over to the dark side and essentially make him fall, in this case, Elzar is lucky to have people like Ola Jereni and people like his best mate, like Stellan, who he can turn to and say, you know, turn to him in Rising Storm was like, I need help. And in this book, we see him finding that help, essentially cutting himself off from the force a little bit and, and letting him sort of, that lesson that Ola gives him with the waves like washing up over him and that he can't control the waves and he just has to 
let himself go with it and sort of being like the force and that the dark that sort of dark side will always be in him that it's got to be about like choosing the light every time and acknowledging that it's there and being better and moving past it and like confronting his feelings for Avar as well instead of just like you know holding them deep down and letting them sort of tear him apart and making them have reckless one night stands like he did in the rising storm so I mean, I'm, I'm no anyone who has listened to this podcast before knows I'm a big Elzar Man fan. I think he is my favorite character in the High Republic. So, uh, but I just I love what they're doing with him. I think he went on such a cool journey in this book. I mean, that moment in the book when he essentially realized he's the only guy who can save everyone because he's the only one who's not connected at so much to the force that the nameless are like really affecting him. Um, to his moment at the end where he accidentally kills Chancey Arrow because he like loses his focus loses his control to like the final moments where you know he realizes everything that you know Stellan has done and the sacrifice he's made and he's able to find peace you know sort of in Avar's arms at the end so oh, I mean I could go on and on about Elzar I'm interested to hear what John thinks about his uh his character and his story and about that absolute blasphemous comment that I just made about Anakin but <laughs> I'd say it I mean, I I actually like completely agree with you. I think if um, if you just had Anakin from the films and you wrote his story basically very similar to how Elzar has been written now, and like filled the gap with that, people would be like on their knees praising it and like being like, "This is exactly what we needed to fill yeah, to like yeah. understand Anakin's Obviously, story." And Clone like Wars aside, is my is my my big you know, red flag there's like Clone Wars aside obviously does a lot of work for Anakin's character. Yeah, but I mean Elzar's like journey is like it, it does mirror like Anakin's very similarly like as you say like his attachment for for Avar is obviously like very similar to Anakin's attachment to to Padme. Um <clears throat> you know the way they look at the view the force and like um use the force and stuff I think is very is very very similar like how they approach a Jedi Order I think is also very similar um, you know like I feel like the questions Elzar raises um, to like his fellow Jedi are very are ones that you could definitely see Anakin bringing up um, <clears throat> bringing up at the same time and uh, and I think obviously the biggest difference is, um, is as you said like uh, Elzar has that relationship with, with Stellan where he could go to him and be like I need help you know like is there's so many, you could talk to any Star Wars fan and, you know, they've probably had a conversation with their mates about, you know, if Anakin had just gone to Obi-Wan and been like, I need help, like, I have this issue, what would have happened, you know, if he had that relationship with Obi-Wan to go up to him and be like, yo, like, I'm, I'm down bad for this girl. It's affecting me as a Jedi, like, I need help. You know, like, the whole era of Star Wars would be different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but you're not wrong at all. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's, there's obviously like great similarities in um, in Death Star, and I think <clears throat> I think you know it'd be silly to say that uh, the team at the High Republic weren't it weren't influenced by Anakin's story for about four hours on. I think it's only because there's been uh, how do I word this? You know, like you can take Anakin's story and like 
adapt it for Elzar and then put in improvements where you think you'd need it sort of thing. That's probably what they've ended up doing and like make it, you know, you can dive, obviously dive in a lot deeper with like book and stuff and you can talk more about how people are feeling and like their emotions and stuff that you, you're ever going to get like on the TV screen whether yeah. that being like yeah, Clone Wars films and stuff. So it's always going to be, there's always going to be room for improvement when writing a book about like emotions and things like that. <clears throat> but yeah, I think, I think he's a very interesting character. Um, and yeah, I think he he could be up there in my in my top tier characters uh, or oh, yeah. Jedi. I'm not not entirely sure. Yeah, I haven't quite made up my mind. Uh, I want to maybe finish the High Republic and then yeah, we've then got we'll more see. time with him. Hopefully, we've got more time with him. He survived this one, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he you know he definitely provided like some of the most emotional scenes in this book for me. You know, like I think when he. You know, and he, the, him, Avar, and Stanley are talking about like, their relationship, like the pole stars and like uh, Elzar. And when Elzar just talk, you know, he's like thinking or like talks about his relationship with, with Avar. I think some of that is some of the most emotionally, you know, beautifully well written stuff in the book. Like, it's, 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 it's lovely. Um, yeah. There's that moment where like she try, he tries to reach out to her in like the force. And then you just cut to her POV where she like hears like a little like note in the song. And she's like, oh, like it's Elzar, like that connection that they have like across, across the force, even when the force is being like taken away from them was like one of the most powerful scenes in the book, I think. Yeah. I'm just agreeing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, seeing where he goes. Cause I think he's going to have some struggles ahead. Um, as I said earlier, you know, without all our journey and without Stellan, and like once he realizes the real impacts on his actions, um, you know, causing the death of his friend and and stuff like that, I think it's going to be a tough journey for him. But yeah. I think I think it'll be interesting. I think he'll get through it. Um, and I think he'll he'll persevere and he'll he'll, as you say, like use Stellan and, and Avar as like a guide, even though Stellan's no longer around. I think his memory of his friend will still keep him on the right path and help him to. Uh, find the light yeah yeah definitely I completely agree and I think I think that's something that I'm really loving about his character is that that constant struggle for him isn't going away like even though the time he spent with Orla and we will get into Orla because Orla was fascinating she was so good in this book but that time he spent with Orla like really just connecting to the force in the most sort of like fundamental way and really like learning about himself obviously had a huge impact on him and throughout the book you were like oh this is like a changed Elzar like this is a new man almost and you know there's that moment where with the Rathtars and he's got to open the door so all the pilots can get out and essentially Buriaga is taken away and he has to make that like split decision of like do I hold this door open with all all the force I can muster to save all these lives or do I go back for Buriaga and there's that moment where he's like Buriaga basically tells him through the force like you know leave me these are more important people to save and he does and he uses all his might to open the doors and you're like yes like he's back to his full power he's got the force back he's you know all of this and then there's the moment where he like goes past the nameless when he's going down the thing and you think he's gonna die and you're like so there's like so many moments where you're like yeah like we've got Elzar back and then the moment of Chansey Arrow is such a like such a sad moment because he he makes a mistake based on his sort of inherent like recklessness a little bit and is like him genuinely thinking he's doing the right thing because obviously like from that perspective it does look like she's the Nile saboteur who's been causing this whole thing to happen and he loses temper thinks about everyone who's died and all the destruction they've caused and 
all are dying and all this stuff and then he thinks right you know let's take them out and I think it's going to be as you said it's going to be a difficult thing for him to deal with and it's going to be interesting to see the journey he goes on now of does he blame himself for Stellan's death does he accept that he made a mistake but Stellan still made the decision that he made and does he look at Stellan as inspiration or does he see Stellan as this big like you did something wrong reminder um, that'll be really interesting to see going forward. Um, and I, I honestly just hope like Elzar gets his happy ending. Like I really hope, <laughs> I really, really hope that, you know, the final book of the High Republic is, you know, Elzar Man triumphantly beating Marquion Row in hand-to-hand combat and saving the day and not just dying and being remembered as that Jedi who <laughs> went for a rough time. I really hope he triumphs in the end, but um, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing where his journey goes. And um, he is a character that I think is incredibly, he's been incredibly well, well written by every author that's touched him from the sort of slightly more brief time that he had in Light of the Jedi to the incredible job Kevin Scott did of like telling his sort of like struggles with the dark side to this book of like his, sort of redemption to, you know, last minute failure. I think all these writers have done an incredible job writing him and I just can't wait to see see where they go next with him. I think he's he's my boy. I need a Funko Pop. I need an action figure. I need all the Elzar Man merch in the world because uh, he is certainly a character, like a character that I think is very relatable. I think particularly like for... <laughs> I mean, obviously, because he's a guy, but for blokes, I think he's quite a relatable character. You know, he's like struggling with all the things that blokes in the real world struggle with, as opposed to like, as opposed to like Anakin, who like is relatable in a way, but it's a bit more of an exaggerated extreme way of like, it's a bit more, it's kind of hard to relate to like, I've seen a, a thing of my wife dying in the future sort of troubles. Like I think Elzar is a very relatable, you know, character for guys and i think that's obviously a a good thing to have because i think yeah you know guys going through mental troubles is something that is rarely written well in uh in films and books and tv shows and stuff it's often just like man turns bad because he's angry and i think they're doing something more interesting with elzar so uh yeah can't praise it enough yeah elzar is a very like relatable character just for just for the reason you said, I mean, it is, uh, it is, it is nice just to have someone, a character who's going through stuff that, yeah, as, as you said, you can completely like relate to an everyday, everyday note. Like every guy's had, you know, like struggles with, you know, like getting girls or like having feelings for some girl that you like, oh, probably shouldn't be doing that. Or like, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, just, the everyday struggles of being like, am I good enough? Like, obviously, in the books, like in this book and the one before, like, it was our struggles of like, am I good enough to be a Jedi? Like, I've, I've, you know, made mistakes. I've had failings. I've, you know, I've used the dark side, and that really brings him down. Comparing himself the, to Avar and Stellan, these like shining examples of being a perfect Jedi, and then he's there, like, I'm a bit of a screw up. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and then on like on a note to that, like you have Elzar is comparing himself to, to Stellan, for example, as like a perfect Jedi. And he's like, Oh, I want to be more like, I need to be like Stellan. Like if I'm not like Stellan, I'm not a good Jedi. And then you have in this book, like Stellan is again, a, a character who, you know, as you said at the beginning, like is struggling to find 
his identity within himself. You know, when he loses the force, he doesn't know exactly who he is. And it's like, you can set these aspirations for yourself and be like, I need to be like that person. I need to, like, they're perfect. They're, they're exactly how I need to be. And in themselves, they're, they're not exactly, they're, no, no one's perfect. So, you know, you can strive to be who, who, how, you can strive to be as great as anyone else, but they are probably striving to be as great as someone else or something like that. Or they have like downfalls and they have issues that they want to fix and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, as, as you say, uh, there are things that are very relatable um you, you can relate to in the book as as you say you know anakin is a character that a lot of people can find things oh yeah like, absolutely yeah yeah as yeah, you yeah. say like no one's sitting there dreaming about their wife dying and then some old creepy man sitting next to them at the theater <laughs> saying that uh, you, you can save him you know i don't i haven't had that Got experience in my day but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm not and then i don't get burnt to a crisp by my best friend i'm like a, a lava a lava fall um so <laughs> good happen. So, good yeah. still happen. Yeah, okay, I've got my eye on you, Dan. Uh, I, I'm not, not. I'm worried about what you're. Uh, what you're going to do? But... Yeah, if I only invite you to a, a volcano, you'll know to watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm busy that weekend, so I wash my hair, mate. But yeah, I think I think what the High Republic is doing really well is obviously telling these grand Jedi stories, but really making the Jedi characters. I think mostly because it's written in a book, so you do get that more time with their inner thoughts, but also because I think it's what they're spending more time on is really making them feel like people that we know or people that we could be. And I think that's one of the, the massive victories of the High Republic. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, there's a lot of human characters in this book. You know, I don't get too many, like, <clears throat> there's not too many aliens, I think, in this in the, in the series. I mean, there's a lot more than in the prequels and sequels and stuff but i think it just helps to make the characters seem a lot more like relatable and like human and stuff mm-hmm. um obviously we do have to great some great characters who are Oof. aliens in this oh i like, think we're, uh, we're gonna have to have a geo talk in a little bit i think it's we're gonna uh, have to have a geo talk oh, <laughs> i forgot how good claudia gray was at writing yeah. uh, writing a, a whole character on an inanimate object <laughs> oh, it's, i forgot about that it's class i think the 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 two characters i'd like to quickly chat about before we get on to uh, the the geode of it all is I think Bell and Orla. I think Bell and Orla were like pretty significant characters in this. I think Bell in particular, um I think he continues to be sort of one of the the beating heart characters of the the High Republic. He as a character has been through a lot. I mean he his master was assumed dead. He found his master after six months blamed himself for not believing his master was still alive. His master died in front of him after he assumed he was already dead. And then in this book, he blames himself because he didn't go and rescue his master. And then his current master is incapacitated by the nameless and nearly dies. And then his best friend, Buriaga, is assumed dead. I mean, come on, Bell goes through the ringer in this book. But I think what I really loved about his story is that the place that he got to at the end through all the like trauma that he goes through, he realizes well, obviously he saves so many lives with, you know, detaching the medical bay tower and getting the Irium cruiser to like, you know, um, track to beam it in, saves all those lives, saves Indira's life, Ember, you know, all the people in the medical bay. Um, but then there's that moment at the end when he's chatting to Elzar, I believe of being like, look, Buriaga could be dead, but 
I'm not going to give up on him until I basically find a body. It's literally what he was saying. He's like, I'm not going to give up on him until I know for sure. You know, there, I, there's a hundred ways that Biryaga could have got out. You know, he's a smart Jedi. And I think that like the place that bells in at the end, after all the trauma that the poor kid has been through, and he's a kid as well. He's not like Elzar and Stellan where they're adults. This guy's a kid and he's been through all of this and he can still sort of come out the other end with like that hope in him that like, you know, he knows what he's got to do now. He's he's dealt with all this grief and this loss and he's still processing it. He's still getting over it. But at the end of the day, he's doing all right and he's going to go rescue his buddy. So yeah, I really loved Bell in this book. Him and Buriaga's sort of buddy comedy thing was so cool and like the way that Claudia Gray wrote it that he sort of translated Buriaga's like Wookiee language Shiriwok through his like internal monologue of like what Buriaga was saying oh I just thought it was great uh, I really love Bell in this book I thought he was a he was a cracking character and I can't wait for him to like you know one day be a great Jedi master who I hope that we spend a lot of time with because yeah Bell's out of our top boy 100%. Bell is, as you say, a character that's gone through so much. And I think he, he's he gone through so much, but then come, come through it like so well as like a, as like a Jedi should be. You know, he still he still has hope for Biryaga that he'll find him. You know, he doesn't, he never seems to feel too, you know, he's never like revengeful or anything against like the Nile or anything like that. He just wants to make, <clears throat> he just wants to make sure he can like save as many people as possible and, and you know, just be true to that Jedi that Jedi um, teachings and stuff. And I think he's, he's a very interesting character. And I think he's a character that has, has done, will do the Jedi order proud in, in years to come. So I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to say it, I might jinx myself, but I feel like he's going to be like the main, well, one of the, he'll be joining the, the top two of Elzar and uh, Avar as like one of the main characters, I think going forward in, in the High Republic. And I think yeah, I he's going to be, yeah. as you say, like he's only a kid. So he's going to be like the, the the one maybe where we he'll be the character we get to go through the journey with as like he's going through the journey himself that sort of character sort of I think yeah the coming um, of age sort of focus yeah is what he felt uh, like in this book yeah yeah hundred percent and I think I think that's what he's going to be on in future um, books and comics and stuff to come so yeah, yeah. I mean he's, he's a great he's a great Jedi and obviously he's got his little uh, He's got his little Ember. Oh Ember. God, so cute, <laughs> so cute. I don't think any writer's brave oh. enough. No writer's brave enough to, to, to finish her off. That'll be. Yeah. I was going to say none. Of, <laughs> I was going to say they can kill off as many Jedi as they want, but if they touch Ember, we will riot. They know that we'll riot, so they'll never do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cold. You can't kill off the dog, even yeah. if God forbid Bell dies. Like Ember will have to live on somehow because there's yeah. no way you oh, touch the dog. Hundred percent. Even Cavan Scott won't there. He'll do a lot of things, but he won't kill the dog. Mm-hmm. No one's that brave. <laughs> yeah, and no, I completely agree. I think he he really is like the coming of age focus in this book and his whole thing of like, he's Loden believed he was ready to be a Jedi Knight. Indira believes he's ready to be a Jedi Knight and he still like wants to prove himself as a Padawan first. And I I think, you know, he is he is a Jedi Knight already really in waiting, but there's all this constant thing that he has of just like not being ready to like become a Jedi Knight. And I think that's a really interesting part of his character. And I think that that side of him, I think is really going to grow and continue in the Republic. So I'm excited to see it. He's, he's definitely the, 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 the cool coming of age teenage boy of it. 
which I think is uh, they've done a great job with and made him quite a deep and meaningful character. Yeah, 100%. I mean, <clears throat> um, I really liked his character when we were first introduced to him in, um, I don't know what, the Light of the Jedi? Yeah, maybe? Light of the Jedi had a pretty major part. It was him and Loden. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked his story so, so far and I, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing where it goes because he... I think what this what this um what the Hyper Puppet's done really well, as I'm sure I've said it before, is you know, you get lots of different types of Jedi in this. You obviously get like people like Elzar, who are a bit more like free reckless, like that sort of vibe. You get people like um Skier in the comics who's just I haven't quite caught up completely with comics, so I probably might be a bit few uh, issues behind, but that man has just gone rogue um and just seems to just do what he wants. Uh <clears throat> and then you've got, you know, the most serious characters, uh, you know, like Stellan and like, Loden was like a very serious like, Jedi master. And I'm just really interested to see where Bell fits in in all this because, you know, he's he's still young and his personality still really shines through with his Jedi teachings. And I'm really looking forward to see where he sits once he does realise, as you say, like, he once he's proven himself to himself and, like, he's earned that title within himself, being a Jedi Knight. And then eventually, I'm sure... If he like isn't mm. somehow murdered along the way, like a great Jedi master, <laughs> right, and it, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes with that. And honestly, like, gotta take the hats off to the boy because after what he went through at the end of the Rising Storm, like being face to face with the Leveler or the Nameless or whatever you're calling them, watching his master, who he was just reunited with, turn to dust in front of him, and the, the fact that he didn't fall to the dark side and is, you know still fighting with so much hope and light in him like you have to full credit to him he is like one of the toughest most resilient jedi in the order yeah 100 percent. i mean i think by this point in the in his in his life in this book i think anakin would have turned a long while ago if he'd had to put up with this sort of shit so so i think yeah hats off to uh to bell because i mean <clears throat> the resilience on this man is is unbelievable and as you say the fact he still has such like a hopeful outlook on life um especially in like his search for like Biriaga is, is just, just fantastic. So a true, a true Jedi thrills through. Yeah. I know that in, um, in Into the Dark, Orla Drenny was, um, was one of your favorite characters. So, so what did you think of, uh, of her involvement in this book, her, her return to the story and her very sad and untimely death? Uh, I mean, I think she, the, she was great in the introduction um, she had, you know, like with Elzar, I think that was that was very interesting to see like how someone who um is so detached from the, like, the Jedi Order, being like a way seeker, um was I don't know, like called in basically to help Elzar deal with his struggles with the force and everything like that. And that really is uh it was really interesting because obviously just like a way seeker is just someone who's doesn't do what the order wants them to do and basically just goes off and just follows the force and, you know, does like that. So you can, you could make the argument that they have a closer connection to the force and like your average Jedi who has to deal with the everyday politics of like the world and stuff like that. <clears throat> so I thought that was really interesting that she got to, she got to teach Elzar man about like how he got to reconnect with the force and stuff. I thought that was, that was really interesting and really cool. It was, it was great pair to see. And then it's just nice to see that, she was just straight back on it. Like as soon as she went, got back to Starlight Beacon, she's straight back on like, you know, she's not afraid to do of anything. You know, she was straight there to, to help, um, um, help with the crisis. And then um, when the time came to possibly, you know, be sent off to her death to go find, um, to go find uh, Belle's master. Oh, I've forgotten her name off the top of my head, 
but you know, to go out. Was, Bur- was it Buriaga's master? I think was it Nib Buriaga's master? Nib yeah, Seek, sorry. Yeah. Um, and you know, like help track down the creature that you know, as you say, like turned loading to dust and has like injured uh, the uh, the other Jedi. She was straight down there. I mean, this woman is is, is fearless, and she's still got her badass jewel, you know, white lightsabers, which is. One of the, the coolest lightsabers we've ever seen in Star Wars. I'm just going to throw out there. I'm sure I've already said it before. Yeah, um, cool. And, well, I mean, I was absolutely gutted when she died. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was absolutely, like, heartbroken. Because, as you said, like, she see was it one coming. of my favourite characters. Yeah, no, didn't. I didn't. And Just because well, she I mean, was one of Claudia Gray's characters, I expected it. Claudia to be like, nah, all is my girl. I'm not going to kill her off. But she did. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Claudia, all the scenes with um, the Jedi and the... um. What what do you say the creatures are called? I, I forgot. The nameless. The nameless. Like all the scenes of like the Jedi and the nameless like, were fantastically written. Like, like there was. You know, I genuinely felt reading it like an impending sense of doom, you know, and like fear and stuff. Reading it because it was fantastic. So while all those death was sad and I was like heartbroken, it was very well written, and it really did like ramp up the tension and 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 it it gave it did what it needed to for the book and the storyline. So. Yeah, I'll forgive Claudia Gray for that, but it was it was heartbreaking and it was it was sad to lose such a such a character. That I really thought was going to like lead the High Republic into like into glory. I thought we were going to go yeah. right to the end of all the journey. <laughs> I think it was because obviously the the first person who died to the nameless was that Reginald Cole character. It was that new Jedi, and he he was got an interesting character. Like he was he thought he thought he was really funny, and he wasn't. And he like his whole history was like working with like the the like the baby Jedis in the crash and stuff. And like, that was hard work. So anything else was kind of easy since then. So he was an interesting new character, but he died and we're like, okay, they're killing off like a fairly new character. Indira Stokes, pretty major, but she didn't die fully. So I was like, okay, they're not fully committing to like killing big characters off. Then Nibba Seat goes and you're like, okay, so she's not that big a character either. Like she's kind of, you know, been in the first three books, but not nothing major. And then when like Claudia of Grey killed off Ola Drenny, I was like, oh, I was like, they're serious. They're killing off big characters. Um, so yeah, whilst it, as you said, was a really, really sad death, I do think that it was so well written and so like the dread of it was like really set up the tension for the rest of the book of like, yeah, these these creatures are serious. Like these, these are like real villains that we need to be scared of. Um, and obviously it just ramps up Marquion Rowe as a villain even more because he has control over these things. Um, so, you know, what he's going to do next, just, it makes it even more terrifying because if such a great Jedi like Orla Jereni can't survive him, then, you know, no one can really. So I think that was great. I think the only other thing I'd add about Orla I thought she was great throughout the book. You sort of nailed it all with her relationship with Elzar and all that sort of stuff. But I really liked the thing with Stellan. Like there was sort of the little hint that her and Stellan had a bit of a past, you know, disagreement over something. I, I didn't know if there was almost a hint of like maybe a little uh, little one night fling or something in the past. I didn't know if that was the vibes I was getting, but there was there was a little tension between them about the past, about something that's happened. And you know, Stellan really looked down his nose at her because she was a way seeker because she left the order and he saw the order as like everything in life. And I love the way that she challenged Stellan and made Stellan reassess himself and reassess the order. And if it wasn't for Orla, I don't think Stellan would have had that moment at the end of the book where he would have been like, I now know who I am. 
because I think she was the one who pushed him to really figure out who he was. Um, so I think there, whilst they didn't get a huge amount of time together, it was only really like four or five scenes, but I think it was done so effectively. She was such a like counter to Stellan in a good way, not in a bad way. Um, I think it was really effectively written and their their relationship was really interesting to see develop on the page. Yeah, 100%. I forgot about that, actually. Yeah. A bit was <clears throat> Stellan was fantastic in his. And as I said, you know, with her relationship with Elzar, it's, it's, it's so interesting that uh, a character who is so detached from like, the Jedi Order is really, um, is really like dragging these these boys back back to reality and like really helping them find taking them, them to school man she's taking them to school <laughs> she is exactly yeah i mean someone who literally is obviously spending her time just devoting herself to the force and what the force wants her to do and teaching you know, it's nice to see that she's she's taking these two boys to school and you know like um putting them back on back on track because they each of one of them has like their own outside interferences that's like affecting their relationship with the force obviously elzar is like his emotions and like avar and like you know like stuff like that and obviously stellan is like his um doubt within himself and stuff like that and it's sort of like these outside interferences that are obviously affecting their connection to the force and it takes someone who oh, i don't want to say doesn't have any outside interferences but is basically just trying to has just done a fantastic job of like blocking them out and focusing just on the force yeah, really I mean her, her her outside interference was the order, so she took that away and became yeah. more free. <clears throat> yeah, hundred percent. She's really trying to show these two um, Jedi who are, I'm, you know, who, who probably think they know it all, and like especially probably Stellan, you know, probably thinks he he knows it all. He's head of, you know, he's very important in the Jedi Order. Like <clears throat> he's in charge of like Starlight Beacon and stuff like that. He probably thinks there's nothing more he can be taught about like the Force and the Jedi Order, and then. And then uh, all Adrenny comes along and it's just like, hey, short your shit out. Yeah, yeah there's I like almost, it's, it's great. Yeah, there's almost like a moment in the book where like Stellan is sort of like mansplaining something to Orla. And then Orla just like completely just like calls him out on his shit. And I thought it was like, it was a really cool scene because I think, yeah, Stellan needed a bit of a slap around the face of being like, you run the risk of just turning into, you know, the order through and through and not even being a human being anymore, just being like, I am Jedi. <laughs> and I think, yeah, she does a great job of really countering him and putting him in his place when he needed it most. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's a great character. I mean, it's, uh, she's just she's just a bad bitch and she owns it. And I, I have nothing but respect for it. I think we need yeah. we need more characters like that in our Star Wars. I also think I'd love to Claudia Gray to come back and do like a the Adventures of All Adrenny Wayseeker comic book series or something like that. I think we talked about this back even when we did talked about Into the Dark in the first place. But now we know where her story ends. I'd like a little story before this of just her just going on adventures as a wayseeker, just putting people in their place, taking no shit, getting those dual white lightsabers out, slashing people up. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we just we just need to find out more about her because whenever she's appeared in any of the books and stuff, she just steals the page and you know puts the characters in their place where they need to be. And yeah, I think we just we just need more more of that, please. I also did find it interesting. Last little thing on Orla. I know I said that last time. The 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 planet that they're going to crash into was that same planet from you, you know the little flashbacks in Into the Dark with her and Comac, sort of. With the little hostage crisis and mm. Queen Thandaker of that planet was the one was one of the people that they saved in that thing. 
So there was that like connection back to Into the Dark that I quite liked. Like this is a planet that didn't used to trust the Jedi. And now we see them like 25 years later, after everything that all Adreni and Comac did, being completely trusting of the Jedi. We are all the Republic, Team Jedi. We're not going to shoot them out of the sky because we trust them. And essentially all of that is because of Orla. So I liked that little connection back to Into the Dark. Nice. Yeah, I, I actually did think that when I was reading the book, like when the Queen's name kept coming up, I thought, well, I recognise that name. I did think yeah. that was from that, back, that, that, that story, but I just... I, Jenny just never went back and checked, but I was yeah. like ninety percent sure. Smart little connections. Going. Smart little connections. Yeah, it was, uh, it was that was a good little connection. Talking of into the dark, oh, we have to talk about Geode. The boy, the man, the myth, the legend, the womanizer, we officially found out in this book. <laughs> Chatting sweet nothings to the all the women on the on Starlight Beacon. Geode. What what an absolute legend. I loved his inclusion in this book. He was the the little comedic relief we needed in this otherwise dark and disastrous book. Thank God that Claudia Gray brought him, Leox and Affy back. I loved having the Vessel crew back in this book. They fitted in really organically. They offered that perspective that was really fun to have in this book, that human perspective, that non-Jedi perspective. And, uh, oh, Geode. Geode, we love him. Yeah, what a guy. I mean, I said it when we talked about... uh, you know, the previous Claudia Gray book, but the fact that Claudia Gray can write a character who literally does nothing, like he literally just stands there the whole time uh, and make him so like funny and like appealing and, and have comedic relief is just, is just amazing. I mean, I will say in this book, at least he did have a bit more, bit more action to do. You know, there's a few, there's a few tense action scenes that he, he somehow, um, he somehow like just appeared in, and I, and I say like appeared in because <laughs> he does literally just like yeah, he yeah. does literally just like show up out of nowhere. Like like he's nowhere near the scene for like three pages, and then something dramatic will happen. And he was just yeah, as you say, block the bullet. He was just there out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and like that Cody Lynn guy like shoots him, and then he just like magnetically seals his body, and then a bolt bounces back and like kills that Cody Lynn guy. I thought that was so great. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was nice to say to. He had a bit more, bit more action and a bit more to do. I hope, I hope Claudia doesn't take it any further than that because I feel like even that. Obviously, it was great when I read it, but I was like, I was like, now he's actually doing things. I wasn't quite, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. That makes <laughs> how sense. does so this like, work? Is what your mind? Yeah. Is. <laughs> I feel like we were, we were th- treading on thin ice of being like, you actually might need to like explain how he does things, which I think then will then lose the. Um, lose the magic of the character but i think she shredded that line perfectly in this book and i think yeah. i think if she keeps keeps along this path i think it'll be fine but if she tries to be a bit too and more ambitious with it i think you might lose his magic yeah oh she writes geode so well and the the little scene where like <laughs> where that joss adrian guy was getting really annoyed that like geode was like chatting his wife <laughs> <laughs> so funny and like Affy was like oh yeah don't worry like he is a flirt but he only de- he only dates in species like he only dates other Vintians like firstly how does that work <laughs> like two rocks just like <laughs> amazing I loved it and just like the, the, the scene with like Leo was like rolling his eyes like oh, Geo's at it again <laughs> like flirting I just I thought that was brilliant oh uh, yeah I mean, you have to be very fragile in your relationship to be worried about a rock chatting up your girl. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah, but he's got presents, man. He's got presents. <laughs> Boy's got game. <laughs> yeah, he has. I'd be worried. I would be worried if Geode was chatting up someone that I was, oh, mate, I'd be, I'd be concerned. 
Oh, the king of chatting sweet nothings. Yeah. And then I love that scene, like his first introduction in the book where like Elza was like, finds this mysterious monolith in the fog and he feels the force flowing through it. And he's like, what is this weird force object? And then Afi's like, oh yeah, that's Geode. <laughs> Loved it. It was so good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real talent on Claudia Gray's, I think, just to be able to write him so well. So I think a lot of, I mean, I'm assuming most other authors would probably struggle, but it's just, it's fantastic. Just the, the way he has conversations with people without actually saying anything. And it's just like their words imply what he said, but it's just like done so well that you don't actually ever question it. And it's just, oh, it's just fantastic from Claudia Gray. Yeah. Hats and off. yeah, I, I, I refuse any geode slander now. I remember when Into the Dark came out, all these people who've never read The High Republic, oh, they've made a rock character so dumb, but come on, like the two books in now, he's a great character. And I think like the Vessel crew as a whole, like, obviously we don't have a huge amount of time to go into the whole Vessel crew, but I loved obviously their little journey in this book with like Leox continues to be such a great character. His sort of like semi-sacrifice at the end to like save Affy and the Vessel and Geodes and luckily he survived. Um, thank God, because I love Leox, but that was also good. And like, you know, them not being willing to give up their ship because like that shit means everything to them and it's their family and Afi's got her moment at the end when the three of them are stood together and she's got her family. I love their little, the Vessel crew are like those perfect characters that you just sprinkle into any High Republic story and it'll just work because they're just such a good trio, such like interesting characters on their own, but together they're just great. And I love that they were included so well in this book. And uh, thank God that all three of them made it out alive because it was, it was a bit touch and go for a while. Yeah, they are great characters and they are they do, as you said at the beginning, like they add that kind of human nature to the to the storyline. Um and I'm glad they all made it uh, at the end as well. It was as you say, it was touch and go. Somehow Leox uh, got got his like saving moment like that. Like, yeah. you know, he just he happened to have just like a parachute line around. It's like, yeah, okay, exactly. fantastic for you, mate. Space I've, Matthew I've got... McConaughey comes to it again. He's... Yeah. <laughs> Well, like three dead Jedi over here that didn't get a save a moment, but you did because of the parachute. Like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why didn't Stellan have a parachute? Hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I mean, they're great. great characters. So. And, and I like, they do I like, add a bit different. Yeah, and Affy's little rivalry with Nan continuing on from Into the Dark. I like that. And I like that like, Nan called her Addy instead of Affy. And then throughout the book, like, she kept on saying Addy. Like, that was quite funny. And whenever it was like Nan's inner monologue, she was referring to her as Addy Hollow. I just, I loved that. It was a nice little touch. And their little sort of rivalry was really, was really interesting to see continue from Into the Dark. So I think it's one of the advantages of the High Republic is we're getting like these moments from other books paying off over time in continued books and i don't think i think out of the shadows was one of the ones that you didn't get to read um but chancy yarrow the sort of ex nile scientist who uh you know is a prisoner at the beginning of this book her and nan escape and then they join the sort of sabotage team for a bit and then they ditch them she played quite a big part in out of the shadows um one of the previous young adult novels and it was nice to see a bit of payoff for her character of like her She's always just there looking out for herself. She's a bit fed up with the Nile, but sort of she sees a benefit in working for them and then she leaves them because there's no benefit anymore. And then she's sort of kind of back with them for a little bit. And then ultimately all she cares about is her own survival, which is why she's trying to save the station before Elzar sadly chops her in half. Uh, but she has a daughter 
out there somewhere who I imagine is going to be quite pissed off to find out a Jedi chopped her mum in half. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that pays off in a future book. Yeah, I think one of the one of the uh, I don't know downfalls and benefits of High Republic kind of halves for it is that <clears throat> you're only going to read it if you really want to get stuck into it. You know, like if you're a real Star Wars fan, like that's something you'll go out and read, which I suppose kind of applies to most of the Star Wars books. But like the High Republic is something that you only really get into if you really want to. Like you're not you're not going to get like a casual fan like pick it up by the dark and then just like never touching the High Republic again. Yeah, it's um, super interconnected. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like you know if you if you've gone out your way to seek the High Republic, you'll read that and you'll read you'll tend to probably read them all. You'll even dive into like the books and like the audio books and stuff. So. That, that's a obviously it's a downside for like massive sales I'm sure and like as Disney are used to like films and comics and stuff but um it's it's beneficial because it gives the the authors like they they know that if you read one but you read them all so it's quite easy for them to just like intertwine their stories and like drop yeah. hit things here and there and stuff so yeah. it's it, definitely it's rewarding fantastic if you keep up with yeah it yeah yeah it's definitely fantastic for like us readers to have to have those little nods in there from the authors and it's, it's nice yeah. that they get to include include bits so yeah it's, it is rewarding and it's it's very it makes it feel a lot more like lived in in like a real universe yeah I think on a whole they've done a pretty good job of making it so if you just want to read Light of the Jedi Rising Storm and Fallen Star you can get a pretty mm. good idea from those three books I think Fallen Star may be a little bit less because of how important like all uh, the vessel crew like those characters from Into the Dark are and then obviously Out of the Shadows has a bit of a and then also the station splitting in half and like we not not really knowing what happens on the top half of the station like we know it blows up we know that Star Lamaru dies we know that Avar makes out alive but the top half of Starlight Beacon's story happens in like three different comics so like the main High Republic series like deals with what Avar and Keith Trennis and Skir are up to on the top half of the station then you've got Trail of Shadows which is the which I don't know if you've read yet, John, but you 100% should because it's like one of the best sort of comic miniseries Star Wars have done in ages. It's really, really good. Um, the the final issue of that, they end up on the top half of Starlight Beacon and we find out a lot more about the Nameless and then even High Republic, I think even High Republic Adventures, some of it takes place in the top half of the station. So it's like there is so much interconnectedness, which is obviously really cool. But for someone who's like not reading the comics, they might be reading this book and thinking like, why are we not finding out what's going on at the top half of the station? Why are we only finding out what's going on on the bottom? And obviously at like the comics, I mean, they they basically said from the beginning that High Republic was written to be like every story factors into the, the thing. It's not just going to be like the big books tell the big story and everything else is irrelevant. Like it all feeds in and it's all important. So I do think that it serves as a really good multi- medium story um and i do think that ultimately the best way to consume it is to consume everything because it's really rewarding um but at the same time you could that could be a barrier for some people who don't have the time to read every single comic or every single book but the comics are fantastic so people should be reading them because they're really really good um so yeah when you get a chance john to catch up on the end of the the marvel high republic series and issue 15 just came out it will answer some of your questions you have about what's going on on the top half of the station um it's really good yeah i do actually need to catch up on that i mean i have read trial 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 of shadows trial of shadows um but i i think i fed up to issue four and then at the end of issue four it's like the explosion on starlight beacon isn't it yeah 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 
And then I was like, I should probably finish reading the uh, the book before I read that because that'll probably spoil it. For oh, me. right. So yeah. I, no, that makes sense. Good uh, idea. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually just, while you're talking, I just downloaded it on my iPad. Um, so I'll read it. Nice. I'll read it once we watch Yeah, that fifth issue is really good. That's yeah, where I forgot about that. Get some information about the creatures, which is why I know that they're called the Nameless. That's from that issue of the comics. So you'll, you'll enjoy that. Yeah, I hope so. I'm actually, I'm actually intrigued by these creatures. I mean, yeah, I was kind of hoping for a bit more in this book about them, but I suppose obviously it's in this comic, as you just said, yeah. and I'm sure we'll probably find out more later down the line about them. I think Phase 2 is going to deal with them because mm. that comic talks about them quite a bit, so you get a bit of information from that. And then Eye of the Storm, uh, the like two-part Markeon Row comic, the second issue of that talks about them a little bit more. Um, and then it mentions like some event from 150 years ago of the Jedi and the Nameless. And I think that is probably what phase two is going to end up being about because it's like a prequel phase before the final phase. So I think we'll learn a lot more about them in phase two, which I think will be really rewarding. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they've done a good job of like building the tension for these creatures. I mean, it's kind of like obviously the big like, horror example was like Jaws. I suppose, or like Alien, you know, you don't see the creature for like a majority of the film or like whatever. So it like builds up in your head about what you're going to, what you're going to see. So I think it's kind of like the same thing, isn't it? Like they don't want to give too much away too soon because that will then, yeah. really, that will ruin the, the horror factor or the thrill factor. good that, slow that reveal, isn't horror. it? Yeah. 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 Um, I guess the last thing to talk about in this book before we wrap it up is the the big baddie he didn't have as much screen time or page time in in this book because he did in the rising storm but he definitely had a uh his shadow loomed over the whole book and that is of course marky on row uh what, what did you think of his masterminding inclusion in this book his slightly smaller inclusion but still his 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 grand masterminding plan over this whole this whole story well, i mean he just seems like he just seems like such an interesting villain, like, to be honest. He just, like, he has the wits about him. And then, obviously, we know that he can go, like, toe-to-toe with, like, most people. You know, he's, he's an intimidating um, character, like, physically as well as, like, mentally. You know, he he um, he um just reminds me of, just, like, I don't know, like a, like a Moriarty figure or something like that. You know, like, he's always, like, two steps ahead of the Jedi and stuff. You know, like, his grand plan on this... On this uh, in this book is like fantastically orchestrated, obviously because it, it goes off um, perfectly as he expected it to by the end of the book. Uh, and he just he knows exactly what he wants to achieve with the Jedi. Like he could have just blown up Starlight Beacon and just killed everyone if he wanted to. I'm sure you know it would have been like a, a slight tweak to his plans, maybe. But you know he's very mythological and um, oh, and like very specific about what he wants to do with with the Jedi, and he really wants to like show the, the world. Or show the the galaxy. Sorry, that um, they aren't the perfect heroes. They aren't, you know, they aren't superhuman. They aren't immortal. They're they're like he's like kind of tainted the image of the Jedi across the galaxy by making them look weak and making him look like you know he's the main man in power and stuff. So while not actually doing much in this in this book, you know, as as you say, he kind of just he sits behind his computer at his desk, you know, on his ship quite a lot. Um, playing things behind the scenes but it's just you always have that fear that he's like two steps ahead so even when you get like the more hopeful bits in the book where the jedi seem to be doing well you're just worried in the back of your mind you're still worried about like maybe something marking rose got up his sleeve because he's anticipated this already and stuff like that so he's just a very well-written character and you know he's just 
very intimidating without actually doing a lot, which is impressive. And um, yeah, it's just a, a, a well, great, well-written character. Yeah, I think what they've done so well with his characters, each of these three books have done something very different with him. It's like the first book was just like, here's this guy, he doesn't seem to be doing much, and then he sort of seizes control by the end of Light of the Jedi and proves that he's the bad guy. And then in Rising Storm, he is a physical presence. Like, he is, you know, scrapping things, he's deaf to the Chancellor, he's wielding Loden's lightsaber, he's doing all this stuff, releasing the leveller, all this stuff. And then in this book, it's much more like he's the mastermind behind the big plan and it's all happening in front of him. And yeah, as you said, it's not just about destroying Starlight Beacon. It's about what making the galaxy watch Starlight Beacon fall from the sky. They're like the symbol of hope, the symbol of the Jedi, the symbol of like the Jedi coming into the outer rim and helping people like being destroyed in front of everyone's eyes. <clears throat> so yeah, he is that genius mastermind. And I think I think he's quickly solidifying himself as like one of the top Star Wars villains. Like I think there'll be conversations to be had about him, you know, joining the ranks of, you know, your Vaders, your Thrawns, your Palpatines, your Mauls. Like I think he is a a really really great Star Wars villain, and I think he genuinely is like terrifying and genuinely has found a way to like mess the Jedi up. You know, we know in this era there's no Sith. So, you know, how can they create a villain who's like rivals a Sith? Or you create a villain who's smarter than the Jedi, more diabolical than the Jedi, and has a tool at his disposal who can, you know, take the Force essentially away from the Jedi. So, so yeah, really loved Markion Rowe. Love that he's essentially got to the point now where the, the Nile have just become this like blunt object tool that he uses when he doesn't really care for them anymore he's replaced a ship of like droids instead of nile like he's completely just instead of this like pyramid scheme structure that the nile had he's now just like supreme leader of the nile he's in charge and i absolutely loved that like final scene where he did his like great speech on the holonet to the whole galaxy revealing himself finally and that like final line where he was just like the galaxy belongs and then he had that thought of like he knows that he should say to to the nile but he's like to me i love that like final bit of like ultimately it's all about him and it's all about him showing the galaxy that he's he's the he's in charge and I think Eye of the Storm sort of reveals a little bit more of his motivations, but really like his true motiv- motivations are still a bit of a mystery of like, what what is his ultimate end goal? Is it just to declare that the Outer Rim is off off guards, you know, off, off limits to anyone and it belongs to the Nile? Is it to get revenge on the Jedi for something that happened to his ancestors that we don't really know about? There's all these sort of threads up in the air of like what he truly wants. And I think obviously that's going to be something that's revealed more and more over time. But I was a bit hesitant at first when obviously we found out that the High Republic, these were the villains and, you know, this is the big bad. But I think he's absolutely proved himself that this is a a worthy big bad of this storyline. And uh, yeah, he's and he's also like, you know, the whole thing with the senator that he's like seduced to like get information and all this sort of stuff like you know he's sort of like the the guy that you could probably sit and have a pint with at a pub and i think yeah he's all right and then secretly he's like a psycho who's like ready to murder half the galaxy like they've just done him written him so well and yeah i'm a big not a big fan because he's a dick and i hate him because he's he's caused the death of a lot of characters i like but in terms of like loving a villain i think he's, he's definitely up there for me i reckon he's he's cracked my top five star wars villains for sure 
hundred percent. I think it's just it's one of those things as well. With like, <clears throat> I suppose what makes a great villain is like you just have absolutely no idea what he's like capable of doing next. Like you, you'd think after you know like after this book, it'd be like, what what on earth can he can he do now? Like he's killed numerous Jedi. He's like he's blown up Starlight Beacon, um, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's just like you know that once we get back round to telling his story in the higher public, it's just going to be, he's just going to top that somehow. And it'll be, it'll be some mental plan. He's come up with that will just cause more death and destruction and like issues for the Jedi in the next book. So it's just yeah. the limitless, you know, the limitless um, possibilities that he can, he can provide with, to cause, you know, death and destruction with the Jedi is just, is what makes him such a great villain. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, should we, uh, should we wrap it up? I feel like we've, uh, We've talked at length about this book. I mean, sort of my overall final summary is I love this book. I thought it was a brilliantly horrific and depressing read. Claudia Gray proves that she is one of the best Star Wars writers out there. She loved the way that she writes the Force and writes these characters. Elzar and Stellan, for me, were standout characters in this book. Um, absolutely nailed it. I loved like the really like claustrophobic, tense, like not like overly action packed, but like really like, you know, disaster movie feel of this book. And I thought like she absolutely nailed it. So uh yeah, big, big fan of this book and I cannot wait to see what's next. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, it's just, as you say, like the, the tense nature of this book and when you read it, it's just, it's just page turning. Cause you just want to find out what's happened next. Cause it is just so intense. And the, the disaster movie like theme is just fantastic throughout. And, as you say, Claudia Gray is, um, you know, named named herself as one of the top tier Star Wars writers out there um, after after these this successful run of high public books she's on. So yeah, can't wait to see what she uh, she has in store for us for us next time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, finally getting around to reading, finishing off my phase one high republic tick list by finally reading Midnight Horizon, which is the the last young adult novel which I've heard a lot of incredibly good things about so I'm quite excited to sink my teeth into that one very soon I've got it sitting on my shelf it's ready to be read as soon as I finish my current book um, so I'm excited to see what happens in that one I actually need to order that I haven't I haven't bought it yet yeah, so I'll, look, uh, it's meant to I'll, be good Wreath Silas Comac Vitus back again oh, be a good one oh, be uh, Amazon Prime in that and uh, yeah. reading that as soon as I can yeah nice right so that about, uh, that about wraps up the episode uh Sorry that it's taken us a while to get this book club episode out. Definitely been long awaited, but I hope, hope it's been worth the wait. That was our uh, fallen star review. Um, we will we'll see what we'll see where we go next <laughs> with the book club. We won't we won't promise anything just yet because I think we're we're trying to readapt how we get this podcast out at the moment, just with slightly busier lives and schedules. Um, so we'll we'll see what comes next, but we'll, we'll keep you informed on Instagram if we've got any news. Um, so don't forget to follow us there at Life from Vader's Castle on Instagram at Vader's Castle Pod on Twitter. Life from Faders Castle on YouTube and TikTok, Twitch, and all over the place. And uh, make sure you follow in, like, and subscribe into our podcast. Leave a rating, a review if you can, and if you've enjoyed it, as that helps. And uh, yeah, just thanks for continuing to to listen to us rambling on about Star Wars. It's a pleasure as always. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully, <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> bye.